Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. It is episode 51. Hard to believe we are already at 51 episodes. Uh, great episode coming up, talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, I wanted to just go solo for a little bit here and talk about the last three games since I recorded. Obviously, Tuesday night, um, I recorded and posted an episode uh, on a Wednesday morning, and it was... Uh, uh, quite the rant for sure on the episode. You know, the Sens had lost, uh, I think it was seven in a row at that time. Um, and to be honest, things haven't gotten a ton better since I recorded last week. Uh, since recording, they dropped a game on Thursday to the Devils, 4-3 to three in overtime. They did beat the Flyers, finally snapped their losing streak, won 4-1, and then lost the Islanders last night, 4-2. to two. Um, So they've played better. They've at least taken three out of six points, but that's still not good enough especially after the stretch they just had. Um, it's, you can kiss playoffs goodbye at this point. It's it just, this is almost, this is teetering on genuinely a lost season in terms of not even being able to get close to playoffs. Um, they're 11 points in 15 games. Again, we there's five teams tied, four teams tied with 17 points right now. So there's 16, six points behind. You know, the, the only good thing is that the Lightning and Panthers haven't done great and the Red Wings and Canadians are starting to fall off a little bit. But again, there's six points behind a playoff spot 15 games into the year. You just, you can't be, you can't be at that spot and, and expect to be competitive throughout the year. So, um, you know, injuries are playing a part. The injuries are really starting to stack up. Thomas Shabak had hit from behind. Uh, by Travis connecting on Saturday. I don't know how the hell that is not a suspension. It wasn't even called a penalty. Uh, it's frankly unbelievable. The league's refing blows my mind on multiple occasions. Um, you know, like I, I really shouldn't be that shocked, but I always am when they screw up that badly. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been ugly to be completely honest with you. Um, you know, and now they're out with, they're without Zub, they're without Shabbat. And they are without Norris. Uh, you know, Shabbat is out at least a week with a concussion. I wouldn't be surprised if it's longer. And, and you know, we kind of got a look of what uh, a game without Shabbat looks like last night against the Islanders. And, and to be honest, I didn't think they played bad. I, they outplayed the Islanders for most of the game. They had 71% of the high, dan- high danger chances, 60% of the shot attempts, and the expected goals were 66% in their favor. You know, the, the expected goals battle is 3.12 to 1.56. So, um, you know, they, they kind of got unlucky really last night, but we're unfortunately because of the start they've had, we're past the point where we can say that's fine. We're good with unlucky results. Um, you know, so Jacob Larson came in and played 10 minutes and 55 seconds uh, uh, last night and looked really good in it. Actually, 16 shot attempts for while he's on the ice, only five against um, he played a really sheltered role. If I, if I remember correctly, um, yeah, he started about 50% of his shifts in the offensive zone. Um, but yeah, like Jake Sanderson looked great again last night. I, I can't get over how well the hammock Sanderson pair is doing. And, you know, it, it's getting to the point where it's definitely Sanderson driving the, the pairing. I, I think that's fair to say, but I always would say that there is something to being able to play with a good player. And that's what Hamannick is doing right now. Um, you know, it, it looks funny because the good player is, uh, a 20 year old and you know, he's dragging his partner along, but he's not just dragging a dead corpse around, you know, like Hamannick is playing part of this pair too. And well, I'm not sold to Hamannick on a long term or anything like that. The results continue to be very good. And that is uh, all that matters and all you can ask for. So, 
Um, some of the results that have not been very good is the fourth line, and it's becoming a serious issue with injuries are not affecting this at all. But Mark Kostelik, Austin Watson, and Parker Kelly have just – they've been a serious problem this year, man. They, they only played – they played uh, five minutes, 425, and 701 uh, the other night against the Islanders. So they're barely playing. It doesn't seem like the – the coach even really trusts them. And uh, I'm just stalling here as I try and pull up their actual numbers to see what they were adjusted as. But I tweeted them out the other night. They've been outscored. All three of them outscored by at least two goals while on the ice. And considering they're averaging like eight minutes a game, that is not good. Um, you know, not good at all. And they're all being, you know, it's not just bad luck. They're all being outchanced as well. And so I have it here. Um they are three of the worst four forwards in terms of Corsi four. Watson's at 47%. Uh, Parker Kelly's at 45 and Mark Costellic's 41. Uh, Matthew Joseph's also at 45.5. So he's sandwiched between Watson and Kelly. Uh, you know, another guy who's really kind of struggled early out of the year here. Um, but even um, Matthew Joseph's, his expected gold numbers are a little stronger, at least. That, you know, the third line hasn't been amazing, but they have been closer to 50. And, they, you know, they're getting some good shooting talent. Shane Pinto's shooting talent is unreal. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, Parker Kelly has a 44% expected goals. Austin Watson, 43.93. Mark Costello, 42. You just cannot win with a line that you can't trust because when they're out on the ice, they're getting absolutely shelled. Um, you know, and then uh, the goals for and against, I believe they're actually look somewhat okay. Five on five, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, again, the, so Parker Kelly's been on, they've all been on for three, four, uh, and then Watson Kelly been on five against Kostelik six. You just, you cannot be getting doubled up from your fourth line. It just, it can't happen. You know, it's just unacceptable and something needs to change, it, you know, whether that is how they're playing. And if it's not how they're playing, it's the, who is playing needs to change because, you know, for a team that, uh, their top six has looked good, but. You know, maybe not as good as it can at times, but they're dealing with injuries. You need to have as optimal of a lineup as you can. And this fourth line has been very bad. You know, it's just been it's been a problem for this team, to be completely honest with you. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my take on the last three games. They played better, but again, we're past the point where just better is fine. And it's that that's the frustrating part about it. So um without further ado, I am going to move it on to my uh conversation here. Um, it's, I, I hope everyone enjoys. I had a, a bunch of fun recording it. Um, and I will talk to you guys all after. Joining me now is Alicia Scodelaire. Alicia, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited. It's, um, obviously an interesting time in Sensland here. They've had, uh, mm-hmm. quite an up and down year, I would say is the uh, way to put it. I recorded last Tuesday and I, I did an episode by myself and I told myself, I said right at the beginning of the episode, oh, this will be a short one. I'm just by myself. 23 minutes in, I realized I hadn't stopped myself from ranting yet about how the team was playing Uh, in the middle of what ended up being an L7. um, They do finally snap the streak in a game against Philly on Saturday in Philly, Claude Giroux's return home. Um, I think it's fair to say that was the best game they have played in a very long time. I thought it was a better game, yeah, than their previous, you know, their losing skid. Definitely it was good for Claude Drew to, like, be there and get, 
you know, a warm welcome back in Philadelphia. But the team obviously backed him up there with the big W that happened. I think it was, what, 4-1 victory over the Flyers? Yeah. yeah. The team definitely needed that. I, I'm still seeing struggle. Um, power play looks pretty decent. But uh, their defense end is it's very concerning. And I think that's what's causing a lot of the the L's that's happening. Their defensive core is just not there yet. And with all the great acquisitions Pierre made in the summer, um, I think he did very well. But the one area I was still concerned of as a Sens fan was their defensive end. It just it's, to me, it's just not cutting it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's one of those things where I think, just as you said, it wasn't that this should be a surprise to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it was obvious that if there was one weakness on this team and anyone outside of Ottawa saw it as well, it was going to be the defense core. And it's unfortunately only been made worse. Obviously, the loss of Artem Zub uh, has not helped anything. Yeah. He is showing just how crucial the PC is because they have like lost on the right side without him. And now we're getting to see what this team looks like, unfortunately, again, without Thomas Shabbat for at least a week. We're going through the deep air here. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I think it might be even a bit longer. If it's a concussion, I think they'll definitely maybe keep him out for an extra week just to be safe. But there you Absolutely. go. There's another top. He hasn't been playing the best, let's be honest. Well, and let's so that's what I want to get yeah. into. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's get into it. I think, so I, I, want, I want your opinion on this too, because it, it's very mm-hmm. clear he's not at all. He hasn't been playing his best this year. I don't think anyone, like, I think sometimes the criticism gets a little too far on Shabbat, but I think the biggest reason for that, and I'm not, I'm curious to see if you agree or if there's something else you see with this game, it's the amount of time he's getting, he has to play. And I said it even last year. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. It's been like this for three seasons now. And at least in the past couple of years, you could say, well, they have literally no one else. I disagree that he should have been playing that much because they were not meaningless, but pretty close to meaningless years anyways in the rebuild, right? But he's still playing right. 28 minutes at night on average. And you have Jake Sanderson, who has played absolutely amazing so far this year. And even Eric Branch. He's been an like, absolute stud, yeah. And I, I think exactly. he's been playing a lot better than Shabbat. And with the minutes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to take stupid penalties. You're going to do a stupid play. That's what we've been seeing. That game against, what was it? Who was it? New Jersey? I can't remember the game that they lost in overtime. I think it was. Uh, yes, that was the Devils. Yeah, on Thursday. Didn't he take a penalty in in OT? Yeah, yeah. Was it not necessary? They couldn't capitalize fair enough on OT on on their power play. But again, taking a stupid penalty led to a goal. Here comes all the criticism. You don't think these players see it and hear it? They do. Prime example: Zaitsev. He's another one. Terrible. He hasn't played well for at least a good two seasons now I would say two and a half seasons with the Senators and his confidence is at an all-time low like he shouldn't even be playing he's done and for him to get waived by um, Pierre and and the organization should so aside obviously no one's gonna pick up that contract that was he making like a 4.5 million a season I believe that's ridiculous but um Pierre needs to be working the phones ASAP to get a defenseman in like now or never or else again I'm going to cut the playoffs like short for the sense they're not going to be a playoff team they're not a playoff team right now and it doesn't look like it and it's disappointing because you know we all had high expectations for this team going into the season and there's another I know I'm kind of all over the map right now but getting into that is DJ Smith when he first got hired in the organization, I thought it wasn't going to be long-term, definitely maybe two seasons at most, obviously because he didn't have the core yet 
and pieces, but he just wasn't an NHL coach. He's not an NHL coach ready. And when you have these young rosters, kids coming into the lineup and playing almost every night, you need an experienced coach that knows what they're doing, knows how to handle these kids and in different positions, you know, on the power play or pound kill, you know what I mean? So I think with the Suns losing as well, it comes, it comes from the coach. That's yeah, what I, I see it. How many times have we, this is year four of the team having absolutely no defensive structure. And yeah, I get the players haven't been great at times and the players need to earn some of that as well. It's not like their forwards help much. Right. Defensively, and but you know what's so funny? Broken. Thank you. Perfect. That's so well said. The system is broken because there was never even a system. Yeah. And you know what's funny? He came from the Leafs organization as a defensive coach, assistant coach. So shouldn't yeah, it kind of... It was always probably not a good sign that when he got hired, almost every Leaf fan I know went, thank God, take him off our hands. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know, like, it's uh, maybe that's a bit of hindsight, but like, that's what most people were saying at the time. And it's like, well, that maybe should have been a little bit of a red flag. But my biggest problem, yeah, it's just like, I, I think DJ was the perfect coach for the rebuild in terms of, I'm sure there was a lot of tough weeks, especially in the past couple of years oh, where yeah. it's like, you're out by week two. You didn't have any expectations heading into the year anyways. He did a good job keeping them honest, keeping them playing hard, and honestly keeping morale up. You know, like for how much losing they've done, it still seems like guys like Norris, Brady, all of them have had fun, genuinely speaking, over the past couple yeah, of years. Yeah, in good spirits, yeah. Exactly, and that's important. But I don't – I'm with you that I don't think DJ Smith is the long-term answer for this team. And it's getting to the point now where it's like – well, if you're just delaying something till the off season, like that kind of signals you should make the decision now to kind of cut him, right? Like I, I've been going. How many back more games are we gonna wait? How many more games? Exactly. Like, we're already what twenty games in now, nineteen. I don't know what it, what yeah, it is. It's like how right long now. are we gonna they're... wait for a change? You can't expect an immediate change when you bring in a coach. Like it's gonna take time. There's gonna be new systems, new tactics. Who's gonna be playing with who? Yeah, exactly. So and I don't know. I can't wait that much longer. Like, it's been very frustrating to watch the last, I would say, the good 10 games. And I went to Ottawa's uh, home opener uh, this year in Ottawa, obviously. And they played great. Like, people, they were scoring. Like, now they, I feel like they just can't score. Yeah, the whole thing. Like, it was one was awesome. game in, in, in Philly. I was like, wow, we actually yeah. scored four goals. Like, what's going and on here? It's just, I don't know. When they are scoring, it, it feels like they're not defending either, you know? Like, they've scored. Yeah. So they put up four goals in Philly, three goals in uh, New Jersey, four goals against Vancouver, one goal against Philly, four goals against the Golden Knights, three goals against the Lightning, three against like the this. Panthers. So that's what, seven, seven games I just uh, named off, and in six of them, they scored three or more. You would think most teams would at least have three wins in that stretch. They have one, you would think. one win, right? So it, it's just, it's been, I agree with you. It's been tough to watch, especially because some of those teams are good. Obviously Florida and the Lightning and the Golden Knights for that matter. And even the Devils are all very strong teams, but they've played the Flyers twice and the Canucks once in their past four games. And they are one and two in those games. Like you, you just you yeah. have to be. That Vancouver game should have been a win. Even watching the New Jersey game like that should have been a win. Mm-hmm. Like, totally especially if they couldn't even score an OT on the power play, like, come on. It's yeah. it's getting to a point where me and you and other Sens fans in the community are going to be like, what is it going to take to get in a proper coach? And that being said, was DJ maybe the cheaper option when Eugene was in charge? Rest in peace. Like, 
who knows what was going on behind the scenes that they didn't want to bring in a more experienced coach. But now with the passing and, you know, with the team going up for sale, I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And the main question is what's going to happen to DJ Smith? Is there going to be a new coach and when? Absolutely. And the team being for sale, I'm actually curious to see how that affects the coaching because on one hand, you know, you would think that if they're selling, the closer you are to playoffs, and probably the more enticing the team is to sell, right? So I think right. that would go in favor of getting rid of DJ. On the other hand, if you're selling the team and you're firing the coach, that pro- that's just another, that means you have another expense because it's another coach, you're paying a coach not to coach, right? And you're going to have right. to hire someone else. So I kind of wonder if they're a little worried about adding an extra expense to a team that's already being sold in terms of firing a coach, not the coach for them, basically. <laughs> I'm curious to see if it has any impact at all that the team is for sale, what way that would swing. And I don't think we're going to get an answer, to be fair, like that's something that will yeah. stay behind closed doors. But it's something I've been pondering this week because I really I don't know what to make of it if it's going to help or hurt the case to fire the coach. I just can't keep watching them lose and legit not play defense at all in their game and not capitalizing on so many chances like even Bakerson like you got to start piling them away like he's had it on his tape like open nets at least three open nets I could recall from and he still can't bury it and it's like what's going on and what what do we do first though we always blame the coach yeah exactly and and fairly or unfairly and to be like the the offense like that and pointing up Atherson and even to bring it, I think, you know, he only has two goals yeah. this year. I think that's one reason I'm still a little optimistic is because they have been playing well and the underlying numbers are still there, especially offensively. Defense, again, they're a mess defensively. That's no secret. Yeah. <laughs> but offensively, they've been playing really well to the point where they're out shooting a lot of their problems. They're just not getting the results. And obviously, at some point, you do need to get the results. But it's better to at least be playing well at a fundamental level offensively, knowing the results should come out of that, than also not playing well and just not getting the results, which is kind of what we've seen in years past at times, right? So that is the one thing. And, you know, I've seen Debrinkit's name come up a lot as well. I haven't... Yeah. I'm curious, what do you think of Debrinkit's play this year? Because I haven't noticed him a ton, but I also don't think he's been, like, a massive issue either. Like, he's still almost at a point-per-game pace. No. It's just not – he's not scoring goals, which is what we think of him as doing, so it feels disappointing. Right. I think a lot of people – I'll put myself in the same boat. I had high expectations when uh, Pierre made the trade for Alex and him coming in and playing with Giroux, playing with Stutzla. I really thought, wow, that line's going to be like – that might even compete with Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson at that rate but um slow start I think there's a lot of pressure on him right now because he, he is a 50 goal scorer let's be real and he played so well with Patrick a guy like Patrick Kane and maybe he needs more time he needs more ch- time to gel with these players I mean there's been several lineup changes you know with Norris being out that was a huge blow for the Suns at center um but I think we just got to give him a little bit more time and patient. And as we saw on the game in Philly, the power play did look good and they were gelling and he did get two power play goals and beautiful feeds from Kachuk and Stutzla. So I think we have to put the pressure off of these guys and not have so much of high expectation. And I even said this to a couple of my other friends. They're like, Oh, the Suns are going to make the playoffs. I said, not necessarily. They might be a wild card position, but I think the high expectations need to stop and just let's see what we have. Let's see what we could work with. 
And if we got to make a couple of trades here and there, whatever, to push for the playoffs, then do it. Don't think we're a playoff team just because we got to bring in and, you know, Cam Talbot, he's been, he's been actually pretty good coming off of this injury. So um, I think people need to slow down with the high expectations of, of the Sens because we are still a young team and we're still learning every day and we do not have the proper decor back there yet, but um, it will come. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the playoff thing is a great point because they were always going to be in tough to make it in this division. You know, we can joke about the Maple Leafs and their playoff success all we want, but they're, they're a good regular season team. Yes, and, they are. You know, yeah. and the, the Panthers had 120 points last year, even with them regressing this year, they weren't dropping to the point where they were missing playoffs. Tampa, we know what the Lightning are made of. And Boston was the one question mark. And they look better than ever right they, now. So I think we, us, and I think, who is it? Is it the Leafs? Or were they like the only team to beat Boston? Yeah, it's, it's, like, uh, that's wild. Toronto, the Atlantic, yeah. yeah the Atlantic is crazy and it's so yeah. competitive. So, like, I don't want to, even like losing an OT, yeah, we got the point and whatever. But all these points, missed opportunities are going to basically bite us in the ass for missing that last final wild card spot so that's why every game is so important and it's a must win at this rate because we're so far behind again it's what kills you about a six game seven game losing streak where you have zero points it's like yeah you know even if you lost seven in a row but you three of them went to overtime it's like okay well there's a it's not I good, agree. but it's like there's three points right when you just lose six in a row with no points it just it goes to show you like right now they're in the stands they're five eight and one so that's 14 games played they have 11 points the Sabres are the team ahead of them at 14. The Red Wings and Canadians both have 17 points. The Red Wings only have Who two more Who would have thought? Wins. Buffalo too, eh? No kidding. <laughs> and then the, the, every team looks just pretty good in this division. I think the Canadians will fall off. Buffalo's already started to fall off. But they're yeah. not going to be 40-point pace teams or anything like that. So, you know, like Ottawa has to leapfrog them and then also make their way up. But, like, the Red Wings, they only have two more wins than the Senators and one more game played. But the difference is they have two extra points in OT. Because they've lost in overtime three times versus one. There you so, go. Again, those add up over the course of a year. If you have 11 overtime losses versus two or three, and the rest are in regulation, like it's going to be that could be the difference between making the playoffs and missing the playoffs. So, and what's even more frustrating about Ottawa, and I think, again, some of this is bad luck, some of this is bad defensive play. <laughs> so many of the games they've lost and not gotten a point in have been because of a last minute break that, or like they let up a goal within the last yes. five minutes. What is it? The last minute of like almost every period. Yeah, score. exactly. Like I'm like, like, if I'm at work and I'm seeing it, like I'm on Twitter, it's just like, Oh, someone scored at like one minute left yeah. in the period. It's like, what is going on? Do they not care because there's a minute left in the game or in the period that they're not going to try that, that crap needs to like, they need to cut that out real quick. Yeah. It's, like you, you cut half of those out. You probably have four more points this year. Like, oh my god, yeah, that's so and, funny you brought that up because I, I'm like, what is going on every freaking period that near the end they score? Not good. It's, yeah, it's and it's just like ugly defensive breakdowns too. Which again, I don't, I don't want to keep circling back and arping on the coach. No, but, it's like, but you're, you're that's so something right. that needs to be fixed. So it needs to be adjusted asap because how much longer can you now go out without Shabbat and and so and so? I was actually at the hockey hall of fame. Um, little game that they had on Sunday and I was talking to Bruce Garia a little bit and you know we were chatting back and forth and just saying like the defense is gonna look so bad without now Shabbat who hasn't even been the greatest it's gonna look maybe even worse now 
I know that they did recall a couple couple of uh, defensemen from Belleville, right? Yep, they brought up Jacob Larson, who I believe is in the line. Actually, I didn't see if he's in the lineup or not uh, tonight. I don't know if Sites up still up or not, but I I think oh, I saw God. it was Sanderson Hamannick was the first pair, and then Branstrom Holden was the second pair. Uh, I would assume Larson, Bernard, Docker would be the third pair. The game just started. Yeah. Actually, we're we're it's funny we're recording at five thirty Eastern time and there's a game on. Oh, right yeah. now. But uh, they, very weird timing. Yeah, for fair enough reason. They wanted I think to do a live thing to watch uh, Alfie for Alfie, Hall, yeah, which, which is actually kind of cool. That's a rare excuse for a five thirty PM start on a Monday. Still play. Oh my god, <laughs> the amount of skill that he has. When I was watching him and he did like a penalty shootout, and I was like, oh my god, this guy still has it. It's crazy. It is nuts, but yeah. I I think Um, that's a good way to transition to to something more positive is um, the the Hall of Fame nomination, the Hall of Fame actually just kind of snuck up on me. Like I never, I don't know, it's not something I circle every year or anything like that, but it kind of snuck up on me that it was this weekend. It is really cool getting to see an Ottawa, a a lifetime Ottawa Center. Yeah, and there was a couple of them there. There was obviously, you know, an old timer, Jason Spezza. Uh, Chris Phillips was there. Uh, Chris Neal was there. So it was cool to see all the boys like back together, especially the first thing that came up in my head was like the 2007 uh, cup team and they were all together. And it was just nice that they were honoring like such a great franchise player. Well, the best franchise player yet um, for the Ottawa, for the Ottawa Senators. So it was nice to see everyone there together for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw, I haven't read the piece yet, but Eric Carlson had a Players' Tribune piece dedicated to, to Alfredson today, which was really cool too. And I think it just kind of speaks to, you know, his leadership and, and, you know, how he mentored so many people over such a long career. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's nothing but fond memories thinking back on Daniel oh, Alfredson. Yeah. Like it's, he's one of the few players I think you can say about that. Even like as much as I love Eric Carlson, he's my all-time favorite Sen, but even just the way he went out, it's like you you have some of those negative thoughts. It was just an unfortunate situation. Obviously, Alfredson really had a similar one in terms of, you know, going to Detroit for a year. Going to Detroit out of all places. Him coming back and he's obviously made up with the team and then seeing him again with the team more this year has been really cool to see. So, you know, in my mind, whenever I think of Daniel Alfredson, mm-hmm. I just think of, you know, awesome memories watching him. As you said, the 07 Cup run, that was one of the first kind of memories I had as a kid watching this team, I remember him scoring in game five in overtime against the Buffalo Sabres to put them in the Stanley Cup finals. And that's like still one of my best hockey memories, just watching that on a, as a kid on the couch, but you know, Mm -hmm. there's just so many other him, you know, leading with the pesky sends in 2013. And, and, you know, that was a fun year. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So it's just been, there's so many good memories, the 2011 uh, uh, playoffs as well. and, And just, you know, that team making it too, like, there's just so much good that you can talk about for, for fans of all ages too, because, you know, obviously people got to watch him in the early two thousands as well. And that um, the uh, Alfredson Heatley Spezza line that was just absolutely dominant oh, in the mid two thousands. Like line. exactly. There's just so <laughs> many eras of uh, uh, Alfredson that you can kind of look back on and it's just, it, it's really cool to see him celebrated um, on, yeah. on a weekend like this. So it's, and- you know, it, there's not much to say. It's just really awesome. And he's such a down-to-earth guy, too. Um, when I was there for home opener, when he did the ceremony and dropped with the puck, I didn't know he was going to be there. And then where I was actually sitting, he was in, the, like, the TSN booth. And I actually got to meet him, and he was so down-to-earth. We had, like, such a great conversation, so nice, and so, like, personable, too. Like, he wanted to know about you. And that just shows, like, the 
type of character he is. And even though it took a while for him to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, it's so well deserved, especially for Alfie. Yeah, and that's all that's all you hear about him too is how great of a person he is. You know, yeah. it's not he's not just putting on a character or anything like that. So, you know, it's just again absolutely amazing to see. Um it's 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 just nice to have, you know, someone that the Sense fans can celebrate. Obviously, I think people wish the team would be playing a little better right yeah. now, but I mean it's something to change the <laughs> we uh, all vibes do, up, I know. Right? Exactly. Hopefully um, it'll change. Hopefully the tide will come. Fingers crossed. Um the only thing I want to get you uh one one more question before we get you out of here. Um I want to bring up the auto centers goaltending because you mentioned it already earlier. Cam Talbot is back now. He's playing with the Sens. Four games, he's got a 925 save percentage. He's been really good for a team that, oh, yeah. you know, we've already highlighted their defensive struggles. He's, I think he's looked very, very solid oh, this year. Oh, he's looked great. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Forsberg has Cam too. Talbot. Like, it, Forsberg hasn't been bad by any means. Uh, I'm trying to pull up his save percentage right now. Uh, 899. Well, look, and, I, I yeah. don't think that's very telling of how Forsberg's playing. And you know what? All the goals to be honest, are all his fault. Look who he's playing in front of, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. that doesn't help him at all. And he you could tell, like, he's getting very frustrated as well. So um, hopefully that doesn't become an issue because then the whole defensive back end is going to be complete garbage. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm curious to see how they split the games going forward here. And um, I just looked it up as well. So it, it – Analytically, Forsberg has a goal saved above expected of minus 1.99, which obviously isn't great. But again, that is much better than a 8.99 save percentage. It means oh my God, he's yeah. been just, you know, he hasn't done much below expected. He hasn't done much above expected, but an 8.99 is probably a little rough. On How many percentage. games has Talbot played? Just How four. many games? Just four. Yeah. So Forsberg's at 10, Talbot's at four. Helberg, who they obviously lost on waivers, is at one. Um, I think they'll ride Talbot here for a little bit in terms of obviously Forsberg is going to get his starts, but I think the plan was always to kind of have them close to 45 yeah. to 40 ish. Yeah, right? almost a split right down the middle. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. So I'm curious. I think they'll ride the hot hand. I mean, why wouldn't you? But I'm curious to see, you know, do they give uh, Talbot some more games to make up for the time he was injured? Do they just go one and one until, you know, they, they figure out who's the one they trust more at the time. I'm curious to see what they do because there's a bunch of different ways I think you could approach the goaltending this year. Yeah, and I if Calvert stays hot, he's your number one goalie because a lot of people weren't sure who the number one was going to be. Was Talbot going to have a bounce back here? Yeah, I mean, he was pretty solid in Minnesota, but then uh, Flurry came, so kind of took over his position at the trade deadline. So if he could stay hot and if he plays the way he's been playing, he's your number one goalie. For sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And then, you know, the, the nice thing about having a tandem like this is Talbot slips up for a couple of games, Forsberg can go in. And we, we know Forsberg's capable of playing like a number one goalie for, you know, a stretch of time, as, especially, you know, he played for 20 plus games last year, but even yeah. just four or five games if he made it. So, um, <laughs> Alicia, thank you so much for joining me today. Plug some stuff. Oh, no problem. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. Um, They can find me on Twitter. It's just my at Alicia Scotelaire, just my first and last name. And Instagram, same thing. Um, podcast, no podcast anymore. It's done. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for, uh, for thank joining you, me. Alex. I'll have you on down, down the road when there's even Yo, more to talk Oh, for about. sure. Would love to. Absolutely. And have an absolute great night. You too. Thank you so much to Alicia for joining me. 
Uh, as always, you can find all my work at lastword.hockey.com. You can find my other podcast, the M&M Hockey Podcast with Chase McCallum, where we talk about everything in the NHL, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, we got a really cool new ex- uh, announcement this week, so stay tuned. There'll be an episode out tomorrow probably while you're listening to this. Um, so stay tuned for that. We're really excited. Um, other than that, uh, you can find all my work, as I said, last word, you can find me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. And also last word on sends. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. I hope you all have a great week and I will be back at you next week.